724, joining us now in our studios is Northfield Mayor Rhonda Powdell and City Administrator Ben Martig. Good morning. Good morning, morning, Jeff. Thank you so much for coming in today. Much appreciated. We have some things to talk about. You had a uh, regular, your first actually regular uh, meeting in uh, the month of February as the first uh, meeting was caucused out. I guess. I don't know if that is the right Right. term, but uh, you did have a regular meeting, and that includes a regular agenda. It started started things off with a continuation of what you talked about last uh, work session last week, and that's TIF financing uh, for the Craywood Apartments. And I guess, uh, I guess, Ben, we can start off with you and asking you this uh, to make, there is a distinction from the whole development to just the apartment complex. And we're talking about just the apartment part this time, aren't we? Yeah, this is all a journey is like multiple phases all the way along with this project, uh, which, which when you have these, when you have subdivisions involved and then you have some uh, how, uh, incentives related to financing, you end up with even more uh, actions along the way. So this was a consideration of tax increment financing uh, de- uh, development agreement by the city council, uh, and uh, it, it did pass on a five-to-one vote. Um, and uh, with that tax increment financing, I would just kind of summarize it this way. For the apartment complex uh, under state law, they allow you that if you have a certain number of uh, minimum affordable housing units, so in this case the, the, the developer's committing, 40% of the 100-unit apartment building made to incomes at or below 60% of area median income. So that opens the door under state law for the city to offer incentives that if they need this assistance for the project to go forward and have affordability components, it's eligible for use of this tool to encourage affordable housing projects in Northfield, but from the state's perspective across the state of Minnesota. Um, and uh, certainly in this time, we know housing is very challenging for all types Basically, how it works is um, if it's approved and determined it's needed, they have to meet all the conditions of the city council um, up front when they build it. And then every year they have to meet those conditions. And basically how it works, it's kind of like a rebate. So they pay their tax. If they're performing, they get 95% of that back. It does not include operating levies of the school district, though. So all the other local taxes, county, city, um, and the school building portions are all... Um, included that they get some of that back uh, up to 26 years or in this project uh, 2.45 million whichever happens first and so there's no risk to the city it's if they pay it it goes uh, back to them if they don't pay it they don't meet the conditions that all that tax value goes on to the city tax base and they no longer are getting that benefit so it's really a zero risk proposition from the city standpoint doesn't impact existing taxpayers it's really capturing that new value so that's kind of the nuts and bolts uh, a little bit of TIF. We could probably dig into it deeper, but mm-hmm. that's kind of technically what the council considered last night just from uh, from an operational standpoint on TIF. You mentioned that 95%. Will that go for the duration of the TIF period, uh, or is it a graduated scale? Or? Yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> that's on an annual basis. It, it's at, at that amount, so whenever they hit that maximum, that would be when it would end. So it's uh, not graduated. It's basically there now. When you have construction projects happen, the full tax value doesn't typically all go at once. You know, it's kind of a delay from when it's valued to when the taxes pay. So it'll probably be even a couple of years before the increment. You know, assuming they get the project up and going and the, there's still approvals left. But um, you know, even if it's getting built, there's sometimes partial tax value and things. But eventually, yes, it's it's that total amount that they're paying ninety five percent of it. There was uh, one vote uh, against uh, against the bill uh, uh, that was brought. Uh, that no vote was uh, a repre- or excuse me, uh, Councilperson uh, Zuccolato, and he was 
concerned about is this affordable the actual affordability of that uh you had mentioned the state guidelines uh 60 percent of the uh, average median income uh, yeah what does that come out to do we know what uh, any idea is uh, is I, I would have to what? do some digging though jeff <laughs> okay. i don't have the numbers in front of me okay. um but yeah this is established by state law it's very common that they use these for um even like our uh, federal community development block grant dollars that they get, they use these average median incomes. And certainly um, the project won't be able to serve everybody. There there could be still income challenges there. And, you know, like that gets back to too, is that um, hopefully this frees up other housing that maybe people would otherwise use. So maybe that opens up the rental market for some of those people that are paying less than they might be able to afford or have products that they might not be able to have to be in this apartment building. I know through my lifetime, I have lived in housing that maybe wasn't my ideal housing, um, but went there and I probably took someone else's unit up by doing that. And so that's, that's one perspective. And we're also, we're also working on a whole bunch of other housing goals beyond this project that we talked about and included in the background as well. All right. Mayor, any comments uh, about, uh, about that or should we move on to the next one? Uh, well, Actually, yes. So I just want to highlight, and yes, it was included in the staff memo, but it's really helpful to know and understand for the community that when we put our strategic plan together, the first iteration and then the second, we heard loud and clear, not only from really across the board in the community, that housing was a top priority, and we needed to figure out a way to get it moving on multiple different fronts, right? And so in the staffing memo, it really highlights the the multiple other partnerships that have been brought forward. People um, from Habitat, our Habitat for Humanity organization is working on additional housing. We have the Community Action Centers, Hillcrest. We have Spring Creek 2, a 32-unit affordable housing that will be brought into the southern, uh, southeastern portion of the city. We have another apartment building uh, potentially in the works here, Heritage Lofts. Uh, which includes studio to three-bedroom units. And we are also working with Riverside Mobile Home Park, which is that former Florellas, to really get that area of the city um, habitable uh, for multiple people and increasing the number of units that are in there. So we are looking at housing across the board on multiple areas of the city, getting housing out there supply, because also if you increase supply, there's potential, right, that you can see some of those rents go down. Uh, not all housing options are right for everyone. And this is not, um, this is just one of those options out there. And I'm just really pleased, quite frankly, I feel like a lot of the input that we've been given over the course of the time that this project has been in the works has really helped to bring forward and form and shape some of the recommendations that were not only in the planning commission uh, recommendation in their resolution to us and that the council adopted, but also the TIF agreement. And we'll start to see more of those requirements come out within the final plat and the development agreement that are still yet to be voted on by the city council in mid-March here. All right, let's move on. Uh, You... um you took some action on uh, the bids for the uh, 2022, the Northwest Area Mill and Overlay Project that we have out there. I don't know how many separate projects you have. Is that all one on the northwest side of town? But uh, uh, you uh, did you, was that approved last night? Yes. 
The quick answer is yes. And we do these each and every year. And uh, we really, I think they work to, uh, there's some additional safe routes to school sidewalks that were added into that area because they fall in that northwest uh, quadrant of the city. Uh, You will see that even as we're doing a project in the northwest uh, part of the city, I believe next year, then we would flip to doing a project on the other side of the community. And so just really ensuring uh, we have an overarching five-year capital improvement plan that really takes into account the conditions of the different streets. And so we are, this is just one of those processes uh, that has been through the vetting, and this is just one more step uh, to move it forward so that we can get some of those streets and additional sidewalks and trails improved in the Northwest area. Anything to add, Ben? One thing that's a little unique in this project, I guess, talking about scope is within the bids, we're actually throwing in uh, pickleball court reconstructions. <laughs> and you might be like, why is that in a street project and a trail project? And uh, we've had some uh, bids that have gone really higher than we were expecting uh, over the, I think we did it once or twice maybe, even that we've bid these, I think. So what we're trying to do is package it into a larger bid package. Hopefully that would mean if it's packaged in a much larger project, might we get more competitive and better material prices with some of that too. So that's an unusual component of the scope of this project that's being included in there too. So that's one area that's unique with it. Is that uh, is that pickleball court going to tip the scales on that one or (laughs) i don't don't think so and frankly i don't know if it's getting itemized out within the bid package but um that would be common as well that we sometimes might have it where it kind of stands alone if you need to you need to include it out of it all right uh let's talk about zero waste plan you considered the resolution accepting a zero waste plan what what is a zero waste plan yeah so um i think like i told the council i'm trying to keep the ship afloat here uh, beth Callistad, our staff person who was working on this um moved on and we're in transition for a new position and so this had been reviewed by the council in the past a zero waste plan Uh, Create strategies to reduce waste by using materials more sustainably, preventing waste to landfills and reducing quantities of unnecessary materials and packaging. So some Carleton students, community volunteers, and um, one of six of our work groups on the Climate Action Plan worked to create a plan with strategies about how to try and reduce waste um, within the community. So there are opportunities for collaborative strategies where community uh, volunteers can help move this forward Um, some city potential activities as well and um, so the council accepted this plan last night and provides uh, opportunities it's like many of our plans it's very robust um, and ambitious like Northfield likes to be uh, ambitious (laughs) on their plans so um, you know there is a prioritization uh, process that's kind of in place in looking at that but um, yeah so that's that's part of it one fact oh. I, I made note of that I wasn't aware of that uh, one of our volunteers spoke at the mic last night uh, said 400 pounds of food is typically wasted by the average uh, American. It's estimated. So they gave an example of, you know, if you go to the, uh, it's equivalent to purchasing five bags of groceries at the grocery store and then leaving two in the parking lot. So really thinking about the amount of waste that we have and how that impacts um, all kinds of things like all of the transportation and you know carbon that comes out of vehicles to deliver that to the stores and 
Um, and then just people who need food and production. So those are all things that made me thinking a little bit in different ways last night with some of that testimony too. But um, th- this plan is, is now official and um, on the shelf, I guess, and able to be used as a guidebook. And lastly, uh, you talked about the strategic plan and giving that some updates uh, for all the way through from now to uh, tw- 2024. Was there much uh, movement on that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> there was so much. Um, uh, there's just a, a lot going on with that strategic plan. It was a, that opportunity to give an update to the council on what has been done and where we're headed. And uh, Mr. Martig, really, it's a, when you start to look at it holistically, you, you just really have a greater appreciation for the number of things that are in process and that are being worked on on behalf of community members. So I would just look to Ben if he wants to highlight some different mm-hmm. things. So we, we did adopt it about mid-year, so we're technically six six months in. So we're going to be developing kind of an annual report that in, a, in a few months here. I would also say you want to learn more about it, come to the State of the City Address. It's going to be coming up here in March. Yeah. Uh, we have to finalize our location. Uh, we do it at the White Center at Carleton. So I think this week we're hoping to hear what regulations there might be related to COVID, COVID protocols and things. But uh, that's part of what the mayor talks about in her speech is uh, kind of where we're at, where we're going with the strategic priorities of the city, along with a lot of interesting other things, awards, uh, kids participating in other activities. So I would say you want to learn more about what we've got going on. That's going to be an opportunity soon for the community to come and get involved in. All right. Anything else you'd like to mention while we have you here? Um, I know you've been, one thing I was talking to Rich uh, before I came in here is uh, we're certainly paying attention to redistricting and I haven't had a chance to dig in since that announcement last noon, but that's on our list and certainly something that we're curious as far as how we're impacted. So um, I was uh, appreciating your reporter uh, here local (laughs) to help inform me because I've been busy between noon yesterday and uh, this morning. So Rich has been trying to help me out. (laughs) <laughs> and he made some reference to like some video game uh, that that kind of looks like uh, Tetris or something on the. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> oh wow! <laughs> it's different. I'll tell you that right now. From our legislative, uh, you know, both the Senate and uh, the uh, House, uh, quite a bit different than they, we've seen uh, over the past ten years. But uh, yeah. it happens every redistricting. So yeah. there you have it. Yeah. Mayor, Mr. City Administrator. Thank you so much for coming in today. We appreciate it, and we'll see you again next week. Sounds yeah. good. Thanks, Thanks right. Jeff. Northfield Mayor Rhonda Poundell, City Administrator Ben Martig, uh, joins us, join us uh, every week after a council meeting here on 95.1 The One and AM 1080. We've got uh, Rich coming in with a uh, brief look at local news in just a moment or so. State news is next.
And joining us with a look at uh, local news from the KYMN News Center, it is Rich Larson. Of all people. Boy, We're playing uh, kind of musical chairs yeah, uh, exactly. this morning. Exactly. All right. So, um, <laughs> here we go. On Monday night, the Northfield School Board voted to relax many of the COVID-19 health protocols that have been in place since the beginning of the school year. Beginning next week, masks will be recommended but not required in all district buildings. Similarly, those considered to be close contacts with someone who tests positive for COVID will no longer have to go into quarantine. And the district will end the practice of contact tracing. Superintendent of 